Hey, this is Thor from Cybrary. If you've been enjoying the Cybrary podcast or 401 Access Denied, then make sure to like, follow, and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Join the discussion by leaving us a comment or review on your platform of choice or emailing us at podcast at cybrary.it. From all of us at Cybrary, thank you and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of 401 Access Denied. Really excited to have another exciting couple of guests with me today. My name is Joseph Carson, Chief Security Scientist and Advisory CISO at Lycotic and uh, based in Tallinn, Estonia. So really excited to, to have another guest who's returning today. And it's always great when we have uh, fantastic guests uh, come back on the show. So, um, John, do you want to give us an intro and let uh, new guests uh, know who you are and a little bit about, about your background, please? Yeah, sure. Last time was so much fun. I was really excited to come back and have another conversation. Uh, John Ramsey, I uh, was formerly the chief technology officer for SecureWorks, a managed security service provider uh, for 21 years. Um, prior to that, I was at the computer emergency response team at Carnegie Mellon University, uh, where I also did my master's work at CMU uh, in software engineering. And then prior to that, at Siemens Corporate Research. Awesome. Welcome back to the show. It's a pleasure to have you back again. So, and uh, we're here with a new guest in the episode. So, uh, Juan, uh, welcome to the show. Hopefully, uh, this is going to be an interesting uh, and fun conversation for today. So, can you give us a little bit about who you are and your background, please? Sure, Joe. Thank you very much for having me in the show. Really looking forward to share some of my thoughts about cybersecurity in OT with you guys. Uh, thank you for having me. So, uh, Juan Espinosa, uh, I'm a Parsons employee uh, specialized in cybersecurity for OT systems. Uh, been with Parsons eight years, uh, doing a lot of work for the intelligence community, uh, protecting critical networks. Uh, think about uh, air conditioning systems for data centers, uh, generators, and things like that. Um, before that, I spent 15 years of my life building American embassies. So I traveled all over the world, kind of building the infrastructures. So that was that was fun. Uh, and they have a growing family, and they decided to change and do something that required less travel. So I hear, I'm here in the Maryland area. Uh, and learning every day about cyber is, is one of those things that you never become a, a true expert. You really learn every day. So, so looking forward for this conversation. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Welcome to the show. Um, and I couldn't agree more with you. Cybersecurity, there is no one person who knows everything. We're, it's always a continuous learning. And I'm, I've been in the industry for close to 30 years, and I'm still learning. Um, and I can never, I, I, I specialize in certain areas, but I can never be an expert in everything. That's why I surround myself with amazing, talented people who, that when I have a question, I go to them for it. And uh, for, so for the audience, for today's show, we're going to be going into operational technology. OT. And I know we've had episodes before, which, you know, some of the, the, the well and greatest performing episodes were all in operational technology. And we've talked about, you know, sciences and data, and um, we talked about uh, production lines and other, you know, we talked about attacks um, on uh, oil rigs and so forth. So we've had a lot of interesting discussions. Uh, but I think it's, you know, it's been quite a while since we've had that OT discussion. So I thought it was really important to bring back some extreme, you know, um, intelligent guests to come in and help provide us an update, you know, into where we are today. So one of the things is that, you know, with OT, um, it's always advancing, it's always evolving, um, especially in the cybersecurity. And we've seen a lot of major incidents in the past year. So I'd like to kind of get, you know, one, if you can provide us kind of, let's say, current, current state of the union type of thing into what's the, what is operational technology so people can kind of get an understanding, you know, what it, what it means. 
Sure, absolutely. So, so um, think about the Internet of Things, right? The co- common term, you know, the, the, think about the convenience that you have uh, w- when you forgot to close the garage door in your house and then you have the ability to close it from remote from, from your cell phone, right? Uh, think about a security camera in your ring bell in your door and then you can check if your kids arrive safe home uh, from your uh, office computer, right? So that convenience, that connectivity relies on a, you know, holistic network of IT and OT devices, right? So think about that example uh, in the example of the garage door. You, you have an OT device, which is the classic, like, think about the engine, you know, the motor that is activating the door to open. Uh, think about the example of, this, of the camera. You have the actual camera, right? OT devices that are talking with a special communication protocol, but then the ability of those devices to be controlled from remote is basically leveraging the internet and an IT network behind it, right? So in that example, you, you're using the convenience of the system, right? Uh, however, security was never considered in the development. Security is a new thought, right? And now all of a sudden you have a network that is all connected and is full of entry points and plenty of vulnerabilities to exploit. Now think about industrial uh, installations. There were not any different. They were developed with convenience in mind, with the facility to save money, right? So automation was great, you know, and that was the rush of a lot of companies to automate, connect, th- connect things so you will save money. So think about having data and control coming to your centralized station. That will save you money because you don't have to send technicians all over the country in a truck uh, with a notepad taking the measurement of a power meter, right? All that is automated now. So that convenience and that, you know, simplicity and efficiency was captured with a all-connected network. And in the Internet of Things now, so much as in industrial control systems, you have the same issue. Everything's connected, ITOT, you cannot tell the difference. So... Convenience came to a price, with a price, you know, the price of cybersecurity. And that is our role now, trying to protect something that was not designed with security in mind. Absolutely. John, any, anything that you want to add to that? Yeah, I, I, I think it's a fascinating time, the convergence of IT and OT and the, the ramifications of, of that convergence. The, uh, both positive and negative. I mean, you take the power industry for example. You know, it's it's a lot cheaper to shed power into the ground instead of store it in a battery. And, and store it in a battery, it's cheaper to reproduce the power than to have to store it. Mm-hmm. And so, because you know the produ- production and consumption side are you know not technically um, driving co- demand across one another. You, you have this problem where your power companies are shedding some percentage of their power in the ground or they're trying to store it by pumping water up a hill and turning it into, a, mm-hmm. into potential energy as an example. And so here you bring in IT and now you can directly, directly connect the production and the consumption together in the power industry and be able to now not have to generate or consume as many natural resources because mm-hmm. you have more real-time real-time decisions being made. And so there's definitely upside, but as Juan said, that comes with an uh, incre- incremental risk, an incremental risk. And, and the risk to me in this case is really, when we think about 
security and from a cyber perspective, we tend to think about confidentiality, integrity, mm-hmm. and availability. And the OT side, when a OT system doesn't have confidentiality, integrity, or availability, then what happens is it is does it become a life safety issue? Mm-hmm. And that's really like the ramification of the influx of IT technology into OT systems is now now or now it's become like mm-hmm. clearly a safety issue. Yeah, absolutely. So when I, when I think about you know I've been, I've been involved in many different projects over the years and really interesting, exciting ones. I, I've been involved in you know autonomous shipping uh, projects, so we're really taking large, massive, you know, vessels and actually, you know, making them autonomous. Um, and with live projects we've seen in, in Finland where we've had tugboats and we've had uh, car ferries being completely automated in regards to being able to, you know, uh, do their jobs. I've also been involved into the mineral uh, industry as well, where we've had mining trucks completely, now not fully autonomous, they're mostly remotely operated, but again, the same technology, the same ability in order to make people being able to operate those trucks. And I think really where I've seen a lot of these advancements was focus around the safety side of things. It was all about taking people out of high-risk places and putting them in safe places to operate those technologies. And one of the first that I ever one of the first that I ever got involved into actually goes back into the early 2000s. Uh, when I got involved, I used to be responsible for an ambulance service. And right. when I was responsible so for ambulances, so we basically have to provide ambulances to different areas. And then those ambulances pick up the, the patients or, you know, the, the, the victims, and they would transport them to the emergency room. And then basically once they arrived, the doctors would basically perform, you know, emergency services. And, but there was, I saw there was a major gap between the ambulances, you know, where they're en route to the hospitals. Um, and the, basically the data that the, the paramedics were, were collecting could have been actually vital if it actually already had visibility of the surgeons and the emergency services before they got there. Yeah, so technology, back in, it was back in 2000, and we had these new defibrillators and EPGs that actually had data cables that you can actually, but the, the data cables, the purpose of those was to connect them directly to things like you know, printers and fax machines in the, in the emergency rooms. Um, so what I saw was an opportunity and then um, was I took old Nokia telephones that had data cables, which was sitting on edge computing, connected it to the defibrillators, and we literally made basically the defibrillators act in that through that Nokia phone back into the emergency room that actually provided the data, the live data of the patient 15 minutes before they even arrived at the hospital. So the doctors could look at that data and already start analyzing and prepping the rooms before they arrived. And that was kind of so from when I when I look at back then, but going to your point, you know, that security was not the focus. You know, it wasn't the primary, the primary focus was to make it work. To, to, to make sure we we're able to take data from one location and make it available to another person who makes those critical decisions and makes the prep. So when I think about all of these areas of OT, um, and that was kind of that was probably my very first really introduction where you're taking technology that was not necessarily internet connected, but it started having the ability to connect it through data services and mobile phones and everything else. And of course now they they naturally have it embedded and available. So that was kind of my first introductions and really got me thinking about, you know, and, and later when I look at, you know, from 2000, that was in, in, in early 2000s where we started connecting ambulances. And we think about today, uh, it's so, I mean, I see, to your point, John, it's so exciting that the technology and the convergence, but at the same time, as I'm excited about seeing all of this evolution, I'm also scared. <laughs> I also yeah. have a, a scare <laughs> because when I get into, I, I recently wrote 
Um, so just to give you an example, I recently wrote a, a very in-depth blog, which will, it hasn't been released yet, but it'll be released very soon. I'm sitting here surrounded by like, you know, devices that I've pulled apart and have been connecting things to UART ports. And I'm also sitting with my you know, logic analyzers as well, where I plug into everything and try to analyze the data. But the blog was really getting into where when we look at these devices, whether it being, you know, IoT connected devices that um, are, are, you know, just providing, let's say, uh, temperature data or lighting information or traffic flow. All of them, they're designed for basically efficiency and cost. And security is not an element in any of them. It's still, it's, it's added on after. It's, it's tried to be patched later. It's tried to be added on after it's already been designed and in production. So can you get, you know, looking at that one, I'd like to get, you know, some examples of, of what you've seen where IoT itself and, and, and uh, OT has really been lacking in security areas. Is there, do you have some examples that you would like to share with the audience where you've seen um, that, you know, security has, has been, um, let's say, sacrificed in many cases just for the, the efficiency of productivity? Absolutely. Uh, not only because of the sacrifice on productivity, but also because uh, or pure obsolescence, right? Like think about um, think about elevators in every building, right? That's the classic example that we always yeah. find. Uh, you know, they're designed uh, for a useful life for thirty years, right? So <laughs> picture yourself going through an assessment on cybersecurity and taking a look of an elevator that is twenty years old, right? So you walk with the um, building owner uh, in charge of the maintenance. And he says, oh, the, the elevator is working great, right? You see, in 20 years, we, I have 10 more years of useful life. Uh, for me, it's great, right? I don't have any comments whatsoever with the uh, functionality of the elevator. And then you go and talk to the cybersecurity guy in charge of the cybersecurity of their building, right? And then who will check the elevator. And most likely, it will be running on an antiquated operating system. <laughs> Think about XP, Right. Uh, so the cyber guy will say, hey, I mean, no way, right? I mean, XP is not supported anymore by Windows. Uh, I can de- not deploy any security patches to it. Um, it, it really represents a liability uh, from the point of view of cybersecurity. Uh, but not only that, you know, in addition to that, the elevator needs to be connected to the fire suppression system of the building um, because in the case of an emergency in fire, you know, those things need to be connected and monitored from remote, right? Mm-hmm. So the cybersecurity guy is saying your elevator is a liability not only for the elevator itself, it's a liability for the whole building when it comes to cybersecurity. So so what, you, what do you do, right? I mean, are you going to change the whole elevator when you still have 10 more years of useful life? Probably not, right? So, so then you you have the classic ITOT dilemma, right? Mm-hmm. Who's right and who's wrong, and that's a that's the classic, right? They those two those two employees of that company they work in different departments, they have different priorities, uh, and they have different standards when it comes to cybersecurity. So in those cases, you know, we sometimes recommend simple solutions that are not high tech mm-hmm. at all. We just simply say, hey, let's let's put a lock in the controller of the elevator. Right, and then they develop a process to who has access to it. Right, that way you will satisfy to a point the cybersecurity concern, and you can still use the elevator for another ten years. Right, so so that's the challenge. Right, there's there's different priorities, there's different groups that see the same issue in a different way. So one is functionality, and the other one is IT cybersecurity. Yeah, I think I think it's fascinating that just the cultural difference there is <laughs> you have an IT person look at a. a thermostat on the wall think of I know there's something broken about it it's we're gonna have to update it 
And the OT person looks at it and goes, it's not broken. Don't fix it. The temperature in here is perfect. And, and the two, the two approaches really like culturally conflict with one another. And that's, you know, there has to be some dialogue and shared language between the IT and the OT person to be able to, Mm -hmm. to, to understand exactly what they're both valid to, to understand exactly where that's coming from. And the, the IT world, back to confidentiality, integrity, and availability, we tend to we tend to think more about confidentiality and integri- integrity. And in the OT world, availability availability is king. Yeah. Like availability Safety, is the thing. It has to be up all the time. Yeah. And so if it's up and it's working, it's doing its job, why introduce the risk of changing and breaking it and making it unavailable now? And so Absolutely. it's a, it's a, it's an interesting, it's an interesting balance. Yeah. I think the dilemma has, has been in the last 10 to, you know, almost 15 years, the dilemma is starting to increase because I think, you know, to both your points is absolutely is, I remember kind of just for, for the, for the audience, and I probably mentioned this before is that, you know, IT seems to is, is much faster moving. We, we tend to recycle things every three to five years, you know, people mm-hmm. get new laptops, upgrade their operating systems, get new mobile phones. We patch systems, you know, almost on a monthly basis or every patch Tuesday. So things in IT, they may not appear to be very fast. You know, three years waiting for a new phone could be extremely lifetime for many people. <laughs> but in the IT, that's fast. But we look at OT and I look at the complete opposite side of the spectrum. Yeah. And I remember uh, years ago getting the opportunity to go watch a satellite decommissioning process. And the person <laughs> was mentioning is that, this button was designed 30 years ago. And this is the button that sets off the decommissioning process. Wow. <laughs> and they hope yeah. that the design of 30 years ago, and it might even be longer because, you know, by the time they implemented and the satellite's been, I think the satellite was originally planned for 20 years and had now been orbiting for 25. And now they're going, you know, we hope all of this works. And it was, you know, that, that process would set off the, uh, to make sure that the satellite would move to the, what was called as the decommissioning orbit. Uh, where yeah. basically was where, where rubbish floats around, and that it had to be exactly empty and fuel by the time it got to that point. So, but this was all designed thirty years ago, and we think about you know, <laughs> in OT things are meant to last for a long time. We look at even I mentioned you know mineral trucks. We look at maritime ships. We look at airplanes. You know, airplanes. You know, we see planes flying that's you know twenty thirty years old. We see vessels um, even older than that. So. In that area, it means that, you know, that technology, it's always about cost, production, safety. The elements of the focus and priorities are very, very different from that in IT. So that kind of gets into that, you know, that counter, you know, that basically I think that when we, when we have that different opinions or we get two people from the different views is that their priority, priorities and viewpoints are very, very different. So that becomes a major challenge. But I think going to your point about the elevator scenario is that all of a sudden somebody decides, well, let's connect something else. Let's put a camera in that elevator and connect it to the same machine. And all of a sudden, now it's not just maybe isolated. That elevator now becomes internet connected. Um, same, same in, in, in the, 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 uh, the vessel side of things is that we might have a SCADA control system that's providing diagnostics data back to command and control center. But now we need to have that diagnostics going to the vendor because the vendor owns the data. Um, so we're starting to see contractual differences as well. Because if you buy a, a, a ship's engine today or even a, a power station engine, you might own the physical device, but you don't own the data. 
contracts are starting to change, especially in OT, even with vehicles and cars. And we're starting to see you might own the physical hardware, but you don't own the data that has been generated. And what that means is, is that you have to provide connectivity back to the manufacturer, back to the production. They might also provide services to provide services and maintenance. So you actually have to provide that data and access back to the company who's providing that. And that's where we start seeing these devices, which were meant to have long life cycles, are now getting connected to the internet to provide that access. And I think that's where we start. That's where that conflict between the IT person saying, now it's connected, um, now it's exposed, now the risk is much greater. We have to find a balance between how do we reduce that risk? So I'm just interested in any thoughts around you know, those, those different viewpoints and those scenarios, because of course we're starting to see you know, more connectivity. I think we're seeing a lot more on the consumer side but definitely in industry, in manufacturing, that's starting to accelerate very, very quickly. And I don't think right now we're prepared yet, uh, you know, from a security perspective, to reduce that risk. I think that risk, that security is being added afterwards, especially after incidents happen. Um, so just interested, maybe, maybe one, you have any thoughts around that? Yeah, yeah, you you brought up a very good point, which is um, in OT, like you you highly depend on vendors, right? Because sometimes the providers of the automation, uh, and then think about like Honeywell, Allen Bradley, Siemens, mm -hmm. those guys not only use the data, like you said, but they own a proprietary communication system, right? Yes. That's that's what they are selling you, right? They, they they'll send you their proprietary technology, so you don't own that. So because you don't own it. Uh, it's very difficult for you to provide the security associated with that particular device. So you rely on the Siemens of the world to come to your facility um, to deploy security patches, to generate mm -hmm. upgrades, even for maintenance, right? So, and it's not one or two. I mean, in OT, you rely on hundreds of vendors in a single facility, mm -hmm. right? So, so you you cannot ignore that fact that you're constantly having companies coming and connecting to your network, Right, so you're not air gapped. Like, like air gapped in OT, just that concept doesn't exist, right? Because you rely on those vendors, you don't have a choice, right? So, instead of ignoring that fact, you know, instead of living in a world in which you, in which you feel that you're air gapped, like in an IT system that you might might easily develop a series of firewalls and protect your boundaries and things like that, OT is not like that, right? You you depend and you rely on those vendors. So the only choice is for you to acknowledge that fact and develop your security around integrating those vendors into your processes, right? So think about if you, and you mentioned the internet, right? Like in theory, a, a critical network shouldn't be connected to the internet. And then you see cases in which it happens, right? But yeah. let's assume for one second that you're not connected to the internet, that your vendors actually physically come to your facility with their laptops and they want to deploy maintenance and patches to their, their, their assets, right? You need to integrate that process into your own security protocols, right? Maybe you have a mechanism in which you make sure that that laptop that they're connected is scanned for, for viruses. It's a, a laptop that has control for only that piece of equipment and so forth, right? You, you, you develop your processes around the fact that you have people connecting. Uh, maybe you close every unused port in your facility. You only let those guys use a single port and you make sure that the rest of the ports in your endpoints are closed, right? Uh, maybe you develop training for those guys, right? They, you make sure that they understand that they cannot connect um, personal devices when they're doing that exercise. Maybe you assure that they don't have any email or mm. instant messaging in the computer that they're connecting. I mean, there's things that you can do about it 
if you think about this issue holistically, right, you need to work with the vendors and understand that an OT network is very different from an IT network mm-hmm. and your operations need to understand that, right? The challenge though is typically security policies are issued by the IT department, <laughs> you know? So, so then you're trying to impose security and the OT guys just struggle trying to understand those requirements, right? Yes. So your, your policy needs to include that acknowledgement that you depend on vendors, that you're different, and then that's the only way to secure it. Just one of the thoughts uh, for John, just going to warm on this point and I'll move over to yours is, is that when I think about it, you know, uh, sometimes we've taken this approach to the password segmentation. You know, I've always taken an approach to you have product, production servers, you've got uh, production desktops and clients and, and maybe mobile devices. You have BYOD, you have UAT, you have backup. I was always in a kind of methodology of segmentation that they should never be on the same, you know, land and they always have strong access controls between all of them. And I kind of get in that same thought process that, well, IT and OT need to have that same. We need to have the segmentation. We need to have strong, because what it gets to is that, to your point, it's hard to put security into that OT environment, into into the actually processes, into the systems, because they are proprietary. They might be uh, legacy. They might be old. Does that mean that we have to think about putting security around it? Um, uh, and, and minimizing that way. To your point, you know, the ports, um, how people access, because when you have people coming in, that to me is, you know, you already are, are, that's no longer ERGAPT. When you have people go, that's basically an, an, a no longer an ERGAPT system. So just as, a, you know, John, maybe you have some thoughts along that that you want to follow up on from, from Juan's point before. Yeah, no, no. Maybe, maybe you want to jump into some models or some. Yeah, I mean, when when you're right, absolutely right. It is it is a challenge to trying to bolt on security into an OT system, right? Mm-hmm. So, so there is a concept that is that is being implemented nowadays, which is the concept of defense in death. So it's a series of layers that the final goal is to protect the endpoints, right? That your most important assets, right? And and that layered approach is exactly what you're saying. So you have a combination of methods, right? One method is is clearly like standard operating procedures, right? Don't connect, you know, USB ports, don't use uh, personal email in these networks and so forth. So there's a little bit of SOP involved with the operation of that network. But there's other concepts that are a little bit more technical, like to your point of separation. So you, you should try to design your networks in a way that the operational function, the automation is separated from the IT, you know, and that's, believe it or not, that's not the case nowadays. It's a lot cheaper to exercise control and data acquisition from the IT devices, right? Because it's a lot cheaper, right? Instead of trying to design your own proprietary protocol. So, so nowadays technologies are highly reliable on the network piece of it. Think about the IT piece of the ICS or OT network. And that's not good for security because if the network fails, your function fails, right? So you need to find a way to separate those two things and keep the function separated mm-hmm. from the network. Right? So that's another concept. Uh, there are other concepts that had to do with like a classic IT, the separation of networks. So a combination mm-hmm. of firewalls, maybe data diodes. There's a lot, a lot of good technology out there, right? Like I think mm-hmm. the challenge is that it's not totally integrated. You know, there's individual vendors that sell individual tools for certain purposes, but there's still a clear silo between the IT and OT groups, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't have a network that is all protected with a holistic approach, right? It's being patched, if you will. So maybe there's sections of the network that are newer, very well isolated, firewalled, uh, good SOPs, 
And then all of a sudden you have a, like you said, a brand new system, maybe security cameras that are included in, in that particular facility and they wanted to connect that as well, right? So all of a sudden you have a new system that has not been designed that way and then you almost need to start from zero, right? Mm-hmm. In, in developing the firewalls, developing the SOPs for the, for the vendors that take care of that section of the network. So it's a dynamic process, right? It never ends, right? It's like a cycle. You constantly need to be reacting and not even thinking about vulnerabilities, right? Because they change over also every day. It's super dynamic. Every day there's new vulnerabilities. So it's not like you, you patch once, you design your network, and then you, you can go. No, I mean, you constantly need to be coming back to that zero point in which yes. you baseline again, and then you keep tracking for changes. Yeah, because when you if you want to update something, it's production line. You're, you're not updating one component. You have to stop ah, exactly. everything in the chain um, in order to replace one thing. Uh, I remember when they were doing some maintenance in the power station, and they had to shut the entire engine off just to you know just to change little components um, that had no impact to the engine at all. It's just that they that whole thing is a system. It's a, it's a system in its entirety. Not just one vendor's machine or one SCADA controller or one PLC or one cable. Basically, that is seen as an entire system end-to-end. So any maintenance on it, it's the system that's impacted, not just the one vendor component. Absolutely. I, th- I think that there is an opportunity that exists that, that if we're going to get in front of it, you know, in the long game, like this is a long game thing because these systems are around forever. And there are a lot of systems that are already deployed. And as Juan has taught me so much about the space, you know, they're in the operate and maintain sort of phase mm-hmm. of, of their life cycle. But there's a life cycle in front of that, which is the design and build life cycle. And I think that if, as we are in the long game, I think now that we know so much more about how to secure technology. In the end, it's like as an IT practitioner, I look at it, I go, well, it, OT, really, it's got hardware, it's got software, it's got data. How different is it really? It's different. It's really different. It's different. <laughs> and so what's, what's important is like when we, in the design and build stage, how do we, how do we build it or, or design you know, by security, mm-hmm. design it in in the beginning that enables options from a security perspective to do things when we're operating and maintaining it. Because we know we're going to need to do things. So how do we make sure as a design and an architecture that we build a system that we can operate and maintain? And when we make changes, the changes don't introduce more risk than they than they than they mitigate. And so I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And I think there are companies like Parsons, for example, that have a philosophy around safety and building mm-hmm. safety and security and design in in the early stages so that when they also operate and maintain those networks, they, they can do it in a way that is um, that has more rigor and, mm-hmm. and is, more, is more natural than sort of ad hoc bolted on kind of kind of yeah. approaches. Yeah. Just to give you, you know, I, I completely get. I can give you a, a great example into how all of this, you know, plays out. I, I really love the OWASP top uh, ten for IoT. Uh, it was a great kind of, kind of just kind of showing people where they need to be thinking about, it, especially getting into that, you know, that you know, security by design, security up front. Um, mm-hmm. Years ago, doing um, some maritime engagements, uh, specifically maritime comp- management company, that uh, when doing the penetration tests, uh, we find that they'd actually deployed in their office space uh, smart light bulbs. 
<laughs> and uh, the smart light bulbs, basically what we were able to do was basically, you know, uh, identify that it was using weak uh, protocols and then basically being able to connect. And we actually, you know, had a Raspberry Pi pretending it was a light bulb. So all of a sudden they had, you know, hundreds of light bulbs deployed and never recognized this additional light bulb appearing in the network. Um, and then being able to use that to gather information, laterally move, and then kind of move across the network. And ultimately, kind of what it got down to it, and we reported the vulnerability back uh, to the vendor. And the vendor came back and said, right, um, okay, here's a patch. You need to update the light bulbs. And when we looked at the process for that, the process for that was to unplug the light bulb. There was a micro USB. You had to plug it in, connect it to the laptop, flash the firmware, take it out, replug the light bulb back in again. And on a company that had deployed hundreds of those things, it just became an inefficient way at doing patch updates that you had to physically go and take them all out, patch them, redeploy them again. And that's what we started seeing. And also what we started seeing at the time was the smart hubs. And I think this was really kind of a great kind of starting point where organizations and vendors who provide these devices started thinking about patch updates, started thinking yeah. about you know, secure connectivity, started thinking about better protocols. So this was kind of where we started seeing that introduction where now the actually the hub becomes the direct communication. The light bulb is not connected directly to the Wi-Fi network. It's connected to the hub and the hub to the, the network. So therefore, it can able to manage it can inventory and it can also automatically deploy the patches. So those things, unfortunately, it's always after. <laughs> it's after you find the vulnerability. Um, so a question can, is how can we get ahead of this? How can we get the vendors to really start thinking about it before when they get into the design process? Because when I find that when I get in those scenarios, it's always too late and to change it is time consuming. That vendor had to, they, they got rid of the light bulbs. They just could not uh, because it meant in, in between that time um, they were vulnerable. Um, and to, to, to replace all the light bulbs and flash firmware was very costly. It was more costly than light bulbs to do that process. So just interested in how, how we can get manufacturers to think about this beforehand. So, so there's a lot of like um, strategies that I I think you can you can take to to minimize that risk, uh, and I, and I like a lot the concept of of security by design. Mm -hmm. So so it is in that stage in the design that you have the most opportunities to do things right, right? Because then when you do them later, it's going to be very difficult or super expensive. So so I think the vendors are in a in a in a race for mm -hmm. cheap, connected, automated, right? And I don't think you can fight that battle, yes. right? Because everybody's, everybody's trying to offer you the simplest, more efficient, cheaper way to connect, mm -hmm. right? So I don't, I don't think that the battle that we need to fight as cybersecurity professionals is with the vendors. Mm -hmm. I think it's with our own designs. So there is a concept, especially when it comes to OT, uh, and John mentioned this really well, like, which is the concept of availability of, of, your, of your network or your system. Mm -hmm. It needs to be available 24-7 for critical operations, right? Think about nuclear facilities, uh, think about Department of Defense. Think about critical networks, right? Uh, you need to build resiliency into your design from mm -hmm. the beginning. What do I mean by that? You need to you need a system that is resilient to the attack. You know, not only you try to avoid the attack, but you need to be resilient in the case that yes. an attack actually happens, right? So you need to have have like, uh, for instance, redundancy in your networks, right? Special components that are critical need to be design with certain level of redundancy. And an example is the redundancy in the supply of power, for instance, right? Mm -hmm. If you lose commercial power, you need to have the ability 
to get into the automatic transfer and then have the generators in your facility provide you with that power, right? So that's a simple concept of resiliency. However, some of the assets in your infrastructure are not designed with that. So one of the things that we look for in our assessments is we take a look of, say, PLCs and we look behind the box and then you see that they have a single source of power, right? So they have one single way to get power into that device. So even if you have the generator outside ready to give you power, that device is only getting the commercial power, right? So it's a simple solution. Just just buy the devices with dual sources of power and then you connect one to the commercial power and the other one to the to the generators and UPSs, right? So that's an opportunity that you have only in the design phase because when you have thousands of PLCs deployed in an OT installation and then you're making mm-hmm. an assessment, it's very difficult to retrofit all that all that infrastructure when it's already operational, right? I mean, the discovery and assessment of the vulnerability might be easy, but the opportunity is passed, right? Yes. So that's a big call to say, hey, let's design these systems from the beginning. It wasn't expensive to buy the box with uh, redundant power, right? It probably mm-hmm. would have been like, what, 5% more expensive, probably less, right? But it didn't, um, it wasn't never thought at the beginning. Let's put it that way. Security mm-hmm. was never thought. It was just, let's automate, let's move quickly, let's make it efficient, let's integrate, right? It was and never, cost. you know, right. are we redundant? Are we resilient? Do we have dual sources of power? And strategies that are not new, right? This has been in the market mm-hmm. for many years. It just needs to be included into the design. That Only the, the afterthought of security is just not efficient anymore, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And John, just kind of, you know, just get your expertise. You know, the one thing, we've seen a lot of major attacks and incidents in the past year on OT infrastructure. And just kind of your background in, in search and, you know, in response. Uh, is it very different? Uh, in an OT environment that it is in a traditional IT? What, what's, you know, is there, is there differences there? Maybe there's some from an incident damage, res- yeah, from this response. Yeah, I think, I think from, from an incident response perspective, uh, IT and OT is very, very different. Um, generally, on the OT side of things, you know, you have one button to push and you disconnect and shut everything down mm-hmm. and in 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 the incidents that are sort of happened historically and in recent history mo- most of the incidents have specifically still been contained to the IT side or the corporate side mm-hmm. but have touched things that were closer to the OT side and so usually as a means to to mitigate any kind of further exposure you know you tend to find um you, te- you tend to find um, sort of proactive take the OT systems or disconnect the OT systems for a period of time. That's mostly on the industrial side. Now, ransomware and on the healthcare side has been, um, has still also largely been in IT based systems, but mm-hmm. has had a standard, has had an impact on standard of care and healthcare. And so, you know, time is not on your side when you're, when you have a ish standard of care issue, time isn't on your side when you're an incident anyway. But when there's life life yep. on the line, you know you, you you tend to have to think about the problem a little bit different. When you, for me, whenever I am an incident commander and walk into an incident, IT or OT, I always ask the the question: Is what is the priority here? Yeah. Is the priority to get the systems back online? Uh, which would mean like you have to get to eviction day as soon as possible, mm-hmm. or is the priority to catch the catch the infiltrator? And if yeah. the priority is to catch the infiltrator, you might want to leave learn. them in the environment yeah. for a yeah. while and, and, and continue and to, to learn. Yeah, 
and watch and learn. And so, so understanding the priority is really, really critical. And there's a different calculus on the OT mm-hmm. side than there is on the, yeah. on the IT side. Yeah. It makes me think of some of the instances we've seen in the past year where we really started seeing, you know, that kinetic and, and, and human impact. you know, when we're seeing hospitals uh, getting victims of ransomware and you've got patients is en route to that hospital and then had to be rerouted. Um, yeah. And uh, time is, is critical. And you've seen patients, uh, you know, uh, dying because of those reroutings. Um, so um, absolutely. It becomes, you know, for, for me, it's always, you know, the, life and, and safety is always my top two priorities. You know, sure. and that's where you make those decisions. Um, and I get that a lot, you know, when, when I think about that, I've had some, some incidents uh, in the ambulance service where you have those situations. My, the, the system, my SLA, in the ambulance service is 23 minutes. I'll, I'll, for the rest of my life, I'll never forget my SLA for the ambulance service. Because yeah. after 23 minutes from that call into the, uh, the emergency room, and if the ambulance didn't get there in 23 minutes, the probability and likeliness of that person uh, dying was dying. very yeah. high. And that was the SLA, was a life and death. So we, we knew that the minute the call came in, I had to do everything in my power in order to make sure that the ambulance got to that uh, victim within 23 minutes because that was the yeah, difference yeah. between life and death. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've had times where we were, we were doing, uh, it was back in the good old Y2K days, uh, where we were basically you know, updating systems from Y2K and moving uh, systems over to new phases and generators. And we had a scenario where basically, you know, the systems were offline and we could, we, we, we had passed that 23 minutes. Uh, we were, that was, that was probably worse than that in my life is when we knew that those systems that, you know, you had to get them back up as quick as possible because it was a life and death scenario. Um, for sure. And that's for always sure. a priority. So the other thing, Joe, the, the other thing to, to, to incident response that is different is that uh, IT uh, typically the higher priority is confidentiality. So thinking about the data, right? I mean, if if you if your network was compromised uh, and you're getting asked for money for ransomware uh, to recover the data mm-hmm. because maybe you're concerned that they have financial data for your corporation or maybe you have PPI information that is relevant for you. So you want to recover the data, right? You're yeah. paying for the data back, right? So when mm-hmm. the data is back, the data is back. I mean, immediately you have the data back in your servers. In the OT, though, when they interrupt the service, right, those systems were not designed to be rebooted like that, right? So they might give you power back. They may give you the control back. It might take you weeks to recover, right? You need to re-image all the computers again. So, like, think about Colonial Pipeline. It took them a while to recover. I mean, even when they recover the control, it might still Mm -hmm. take weeks, to take the operation back to the normal state. So the impact is completely different, right? And if you think about like national security, the risk is immense, right? Like you need to protect all those critical systems 24-7 and you're not concerned about the data so much. You know, the data that is circulating through those networks is maybe temperature data, valve pressure, things like that. But if you lose control, recovering the control might take some time, right? And yeah. that'd be a significant impact. Absolutely. And you yeah, can also certainly have on the, damage as well. You can also have physical damage to the systems too that might need to be replaced. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, on the IT side, absolutely. Like, do we have to disclose is one of the first questions from a response mm-hmm. perspective. And there isn't that same calculus on the OT side. Yeah. You, I think one other important thing to think about is and we have this problem. Two two quick thoughts. We have this problem on the IT side as well, which is, I don't I don't think anyone understands the overall systemic risk. 
like what the dependencies of the piece parts are and what a failure in one piece means to the implication of another piece. I mean, we saw that in the financial mm-hmm. um, yes. issues where no no one knew that credit default swaps were going to cause a cascading set of failure failures. Yep. And so understanding now that the OT systems and IT systems have dependencies upon one another and understanding the systemic risk, I think is critically important. The other thing about getting your earlier question, getting vendors to be able to um, design security in or produce produce systems that are secure. In, in the end, I mean, it has to has to come down to some kind of business dollar yeah. um, motivation. And so, I studied software engineering um, and learned that you can mathematically prove the completeness of a program. The problem is, is the cost to prove the completeness of a program is expensive. It takes a long time mm-hmm. to do and a lot of computational cycles and not a lot of people can do it. So there has to be a business justification for a company who, if they wanted to build a, a mathematically provable, secure pro- system, that um, that there has to be some upside mm-hmm. for taking that time. And so really, to me, ultimately, what that will come down to is it will have to be market-driven some way. The market will have to demand or have have companies compete on on their systems from a security perspective and to some degree even be willing to pay more to get a system that's designed securely and and you know it, there might be long-term economics there to the to the consumers of the system where maintenance is cheaper but the cost mm-hmm. up front is a little bit higher and so it has to come down to the economics at some point absolutely and it could also be compliance or regulation it could also impede it as well that you know are certain organizations and industries have no option but to do it. Um, so, um, and we've seen, you know, we've seen, of course, executive orders coming out uh, from the U.S. government yeah. administration that really is kind of pushing in that direction. Um, that uh, you will have to do. You, you can't can no longer ignore security, especially in yeah. OT. And my concern is that a lot of these OT companies were used to be much more uh, isolated vendor supplies. Now they're dependent much more. Uh, IT side of the technology as well, you know, such as DNS, yeah. <laughs> um, which we've seen major outages recently as well. Um, you can have those cascading impacts where you might have one company who's, you know, really kind of heavily reliant, even though they might be a s- small vendor, but they might be heavily reliant on the entire uh, system and process. So, um, so I think there's a lot of work to be done. Um, I, I'm hoping that, you know, I'm, I'm excited, at, you know, seeing this evolution because, it's definitely going to benefit society in, in entirety. It makes us all more connected. It makes our lives much more benefited from all of these things that have been automated. But at the same time, I do get I do get worried at the security risks. You know, especially dealing with a lot of them firsthand and, and, and responding to them. You know, like, like yourselves, we we get to see sometimes in the backgrounds, you know, what's happening and and, and some of the the, the lack of, of security uh, uh, implementation or, or thought process. Um, what what kind of just for kind of getting into the kind of summary, summaries and final thoughts, um, kind of where where do you see you know this going in the future? What do you think the next steps would be? Um, you know, for does you know to your point, John, does does it take that you know economic factor or compliance? Um, who who should be let's say who should be initiating this this discussion um, uh, going forward? Who who should be accountable and responsible for making this happen? 
so so Joe, that's kind of the million dollar question, right? Because <laughs> yes. because right now, yeah, because right now the the, the reality it is completely siloed. You, you have yes. the OT professionals in charge of the running the critical networks and sometimes even owning them, right? So they are the ones sometimes mm-hmm. paying for their own infrastructure. And then you have the IT cybersecurity savvy personnel defining and designing policies, right? And then policies apply across the board to any networks in those in those organizations. So that's the challenge, right? Still very siloed. So I think uh, unless there's an acknowledgement that there need, mm-hmm. the, the solution is a holistic approach, is an ITOT integrated solution, uh, the adversaries are still going to enjoy the benefit that they have today. You know, because the network is all connected, right? So they're completely at, a, at an advantage when they try to attack a network that have multiple vulnerabilities mm-hmm. available for them. Uh, and the groups defending the networks are completely divided, you know, in their priorities. Yeah. So, so there needs to be a holistic approach. I think that there's a lot of uh, better understanding right now what needs to be done. You know, mm-hmm. there's great technologies available in the industry that you can use to protect your networks. Uh, so it's not necessarily a lack of technology. It's more a lack of integration. I think uh, an integration between OT and IT professionals, they need to define standards that are mm-hmm. compatible and useful. Policies need to be thinking about beyond compliance, in my opinion. You know, compliance is just checking the box, if yes. you will. And sometimes that doesn't mean that you're secure. Uh, th- think about going to the doctor in a yearly basis for your physical, right? I mean, that's a compliance check the box. Doesn't, that doesn't, doesn't make you healthy. You're going to be healthy. <laughs> yeah, you know, that doesn't make you healthy per se, right? I mean, you need to eat well, you need to exercise, you need to do all the things. So that's that's the difference between compliance and security. So so it's almost like a cultural shift. But I, but I see it coming. You know, I see these, mm-hmm. these podcasts. I, I see a lot of technologies coming. So, so there's things that are improving. Uh, we just need to keep pushing on the integration of ITOT, in my opinion. Absolutely. And I agree to your point. Yeah, you know, right. Compliance and regulations, it's a its a measurement in time. <laughs> it's, it doesn't necessarily yeah. mean you're better or worse. So, John, you were saying? That's right. Yeah, no. And and I, I, think, I think from a corporate responsibility perspective, there's there's lots of sort of, there's, there's, you know, standard of care, there's right to exist, there's, you know, other types of models used in different areas that I think we need to apply in, in this space. And, and, you, and, and I think a, a, a corporation or a business who has the responsibility of operating and maintaining and designing and building and procuring, um, these kinds of, these kinds of OT IT capabilities need to, need to put together, in my opinion, some mechanism where you can bridge the divide between safety and, availability and confidentiality and availability. So you need an IT person, you need an OT person, you need a procurement person who can make sure and drive the risk conversation when procuring things. And I think you need a a risk person, a risk person who can think about this, represent this in a way that's a systemic risk Mm -hmm. to the organization and both of the environments coming together and also help facilitate the conversation of how to mitigate the risk between between both environments and then make and make that conversation and the results of that conversation effectively a, a board level com, com, conversation maybe at the audit at the audit level but certainly certainly this needs to be talked about because there's going to be money needed one way or another and there's going to be talented needed and it's not going to fix itself and so like getting proactive by putting a group mm-hmm. together that 
that can show some corporate governance over this is is where I think it needs to start. Absolutely. Yeah, we need we need to turn on the silos. I think you know, just like the government's put together the joint task force for ransomware, I think we really need some type of task force that's you know for for uh, OT and, and, uh, that's brilliant. and you know IoT. I think that's really where we need to start really considering. I think you know the great thing is we're having these discussions. We're bringing them up to the surface, and I think that's where a lot of it's happened over the last few years. And we've seen major incidents occur, and therefore it's got a lot of focus. But I think we really need to start bringing down those silos. We need to have joint cooperation. And to to both your points, we definitely need IT and OT and risk and compliance and the board all working together to find what's the what's you know what's the priorities and goals and what's the way forward. So um, yeah. definitely uh, you know valuable points. And hopefully anyone who's uh, we do have a lot of people listening to these podcasts. So hopefully one of those uh, listening will will help. Uh, uh, maybe trigger some of those initiatives because um, I think we need to go beyond executive orders and and really getting into really you know joint collaboration, joint working together, um, you know think tanks that's really looking at this from a future perspective. Uh, because my concern is is that you know we'll always wait for the next incident to happen and then you know we 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 take that as the move forward or the step forward. We don't we want to be more proactive here, and I think that's what you know our discussions are all about. So both John. One, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, for the audience, I really hope this has been exciting and interesting. Um, I think it's, this is a space that you know we might have more discussions on in the near future because um, this is definitely one of the biggest areas in security uh, where we're starting to see a more impact um, as we start seeing those convergence, more devices connected. Um, so any final thoughts, any final words, John? Juan, anything that you would like to, to sum up? Yeah, I think that the, the the future holds a lot of good things. I think that uh, universities are listening. You know, there's a mm-hmm. there's a wave of new cybersecurity professionals. So so when I when I said at the beginning that that security was an afterthought, maybe not anymore. Maybe the new new generations already are aware of the risks. You know, you don't need to convince uh, company owners anymore that they have a risk. So so I'm optimistic on the future. There's a wave of new new education, new resources that none of us really had before 20 years ago. So, so, so I think it will be much better and a much safe and protective world in the future. Absolutely, well said, John. Nothing to add. Nothing, Thank nothing you. to add. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Add. I don't. We can add any more to that. I think that was a solid ending point. So, mm-hmm. but absolutely, very kind of pleasure having you both on the show. Hopefully, uh, we'll be able to welcome you back again in the near future. Uh, for the audience, this is Four Hundred One Access Denied, one of your leading podcasts, award-winning podcasts. That really helps bring very, very educational, valuable topics to you so you can actually stay up to date, stay in the know, and get educated as much as we possibly can. Uh, tune in every two weeks. Make sure you subscribe uh, so you can get continuously updated and look forward to seeing our guests on future shows. So it's been a pleasure. Thank you and take care. Learn how your team can get a free trial of Cybrae for Business by going to www.cybrae.it business. This podcast is also brought to you by Thycotic, the leader in privileged access management. To learn more, visit www.thycotic.com.